Hello, and welcome to Going Off Track. Thank you. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Welcome. It's a pleasure to be here, Jonah. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for having us. Thank you. I'm Jonah. Um, today, my guests are Stevens <laughs> and Brad. <laughs> this is going to be a great podcast. I have a lot to say. Yes. Mm-hmm. So much. So much needs to be spoken of. Uh, in all seriousness, today our guest is Lucas Previn, um, one of my closest friends, um, my bandmate in United Nations, and you may know him from seeing him play with Thursday, La Dispute, Gloria Estefan, Raffi, Raffi the Scissor Sisters, the AKAs. He has had a very, very interesting life. He has had a very interesting life. Uh, those of you, mucus, uh, I almost said mucus. Um, <laughs> those of you who are mucus aficionados. That's uh, me. Those of you who are music aficionados, his father was uh, is Andre Previn. Yes, his father, famous composer Andre Previn. Mm-hmm. His uh, brother-in-law is this some what's some producer? He, made he, he makes movies. I don't uh, know. I can't remember. He'll, his name. He'll, he'll, he'll I can't remember his it. name, it's but apparently he made some movies. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, super interesting life. Awesome musician, great person, and equally as neurotic as me. It was basically like having two Jonas in the room. Yes, it's. Mm. I think that me and Lucas drive his girlfriend crazy because tattooed I feel like- Jonah and non-tattooed Jonah. <laughs> yes, essentially this is tattooed, tattooed Jonah. Um, but yeah, his girlfriend. I feel like we feed off each other, and she has to always be like, "Why do you guys stop? Like, you guys need to stop talking to each other." I don't see. Time. I don't think you're as neurotic as you think you are. I don't think that you know what happens in here. Like the mayhem. I've gotten some emails and texts from you that are pretty insane. <laughs> yeah. What if he said that Jenna was just pointing to his stomach when he said that? Pointing to my stomach. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's one of those things you uh, you you deal with it. You learn how to cope. But it's it's a uh, it's nice to meet someone who has like the same weird issues. And you're like, I'm the only person that thinks this way. And then you meet someone like, Oh no, I'm not the only person that's crazy. Well, like, what's before. an example? What's a weird issue that you're like? Um, I can't leave my apartment without like making sure all the sinks are off like 12 times. All the burners are off. Like I have stuff like that where I'm trying not I'm trying to stop doing it, but I can't like if I hadn't checked the sinks four times when I was here, I'd be like, oh, my God, I left the faucet running. My apartment apartment's probably flooded. Well, that's neuroses or OCD. I think it's both. But that's <laughs> I mean, that's just an example of like just like the. Just, but so do like, you get on planes like that going like I definitely did not turn off the stove. No, you know what? Honestly, when I lived alone, it was much worse. Now that there's someone, I have a roommate, it makes it easier because I'm like, oh, like, she's not going to like, you know, like, the apartment's on fire, like, she'll call me. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, You have a fall guy. Oh, it wasn't me. Yes. Uh, So that's nice. But, and and it's not like, it's not debilitating to a point where it like overtakes my life. Like, I don't, I'm not like, you know. You're not Joey Ramon. I'm not Joey Ramon. Maybe you're yeah. just convinced that you're a fuck up and you're, you're messing up. I think I just constantly. like to invent problems. Oh. I've seen you go crazy and look for your headphones, which is my headphones more is funny. A, headphones is a big one. Uh, yeah. My old roommate used to be like, hey, man, where are your headphones? And just to see me go nuts. <laughs> Although I would do this thing back to him, my old roommate Dan, who's probably listening. Dan, what's up? How's Asia? How's, uh, your, how's Jonah's amp? How's my amp? Uh <laughs> He, I would do this thing where if I put a glass on like the, right near the edge of a table, he would always move it. <laughs> like subconsciously, we'd be talking, and I would do it all the time just to drive him nuts. And then I'd drink it again and move it back, and like, like eventually he'd be like, "Dude, please stop doing this." It was that's, just that's like someone that's like someone you watch smoke who's not smoking. They've just lit the cigarette to see how long they'll let that ash sit there. Yeah. Yep. 
I kind of I back that though. I've, I've had I've had friends who are incredibly, torturing uh, your friends. You back torturing your friends. It's funny. It is funny. It is funny. <laughs> as long as it's funny, like I I know some people who um you know got over their place and everything's in order, and I'll just move something, <laughs> just really subtly. Yeah. And see, or or I'll, I'll find or I'll go to their um, you know, if anyone has like a stack of post its or somewhere. Like, fine, and I'll flip to the middle, and I'll just write fart big letters. <laughs> I had a friend who, That was you? Yeah. <laughs> I had a friend who was so OCD that the volume on his car stereo had to be in an even number. Like, it was like a digital one, and it had to be at like 24 or 26, and I would always, like, change it to, like, 25, and he would... No, and he would totally change it back, and I would do it all the time, and he would be like, please stop doing this. <laughs> but to me, like, that's the most entertaining thing, like, doing those harmless things mm-hmm. where it's, like, just watching, because it's so easy to do it to me. Well, I in his defense, bad. though, the even numbers do sound better. Is that, is <laughs> from, an, from an audio standpoint, yes. even? As yeah. a professional audio. I, I have a friend who hurt his back really bad, and he, he can't feel his legs, and I stabbed him. It's true. <laughs> he was like, I can't do legs. I've and I went, seen that family guy. I was guy. like, can you see that? And I went, wham. It's true. <laughs> Hit it with a fork. He was like, oh. not a thing. And I went, that's impressive. Oh, I don't feel bad about my stereo or nope. cup stuff yeah. now at it's, all. Family no. guy is actually just a documentation of Steven's life. It's true. FYI. It's true. I have, a, I, have, I have a kid who speaks in a British accent who's gay and is trying to kill my wife. <laughs> totally. Ladies and gentlemen, Lucas Brown. <laughs> Speaking of 300 issues, Lucas Previn is here. No idea how that segue works. Oh, no, it works no. perfectly. I have way more than 300, though. What? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, today on the podcast, my bandmate Lucas Previn, who you've seen with United Nations, as well as um, Thursday, Lattice Butte, Gloria Estefan, mm-hmm. uh, Rafi. This sounds made up, but it isn't. It's uh, not. <laughs> Who else? Acid Tiger. Acid, Acid Tiger. Tiger. Um, Scissor Sisters. Zowie. Yeah, there's a lot of weird ones. It's a pretty eclectic arc. Yeah. Um, yeah, it does. Those are, those are like and the, Rafi sound made up. Yeah, they're not. Um, it, it came about pretty strangely. Uh, in memoriam, uh, when I was a young kid, my father, who plays music as well, which I'm sure we'll get to, but uh, his best friend was this guy, Phil Ramone, and he was a producer he produced like Billy Joel and all these great records and he passed away recently, um, sadly, but me and his friend or me and his kid were best friends. And, uh, so he knew that I liked music and I was my, out of 11 brothers and sisters, I was the only one from my father that played any kind of music. Everyone else like went completely the opposite direction. And, uh, yeah. So Gloria Estefan came about because he knew I was really into music and he wanted to give me some sort of like door opening. How old are you at this point? 12. No, because Rafi came first, because I guess I fit the age demographic to be on stage with Rafi at that point. But, uh, and that was uh, like Rafi on Broadway, and it was like this whirlwind of being around super like stage moms and stage kids, which I wasn't. Mm. And my parents didn't have any like thing like that. And just like this, that it was like my first taste of industry fakeness, you know, like these kids being like, it is so good to see you. Like, I little kids who are not acting kids who are acting like adults. Yeah, exactly. It's creepy and awful. Right. And like, while I'm, I didn't have like the most like childlike childhood, I certainly was still a kid at that point. And I was like, I know this is a little weird, but I did buy my first cassette tape at Colony in Times Square. Which was? Ugly Kid Joe. Wow. Yeah. And uh, was I was it with I Hate Everything About You. Yeah. 
I, I was super psyched on it. You know why they were called Ugly Kid Drill? I don't. It was it was reacting to the. Um, I guess they were a metal band, Pretty Boy Floyd. Oh, and they apparently like had a they. It was some total speculation in my memory, but they got got into beef with them. So like, you know, we're gonna call a band Ugly Kid Joe. <laughs> we're gonna cover Cats in the Cradle. You remember that video where it was just them flying the kite or something? That video for everything about you it was like they're on the beach and they're running around. that was like an era where i was watching so much mtv where i feel like i, I remember the video because i was thinking wow bold move long hair and shorts okay <laughs> wasn't that dude married to someone famous or something yeah i guess he would like to think she was married to someone famous but <laughs> nope <laughs> anyways lucas uh, you bought a kid joe while you're playing so with you, raffi on stage on broadway first gig yeah first See, first gig yeah and then uh that lasted like two and a half weeks which was just surreal and bizarre and, and what instrument uh voice voice a little bit of guitar okay um but mostly voice because it was it was pre-gaining this bizarre baritone-esque volume of tone that i have that Mm -hmm. does not fit my body whatsoever um and then uh it's good for the baby beluzga (laughs) oh god so yeah thanks for making me the fat one here gentlemen (laughs) appreciate it i usually am but even more so today (laughs) so yeah so uh after that it like i had i guess i had a resume of some sort, like, yeah, I've sung on Broadway, which was just a complete lie. Like, this guy, I mean, it was like George Bush at Yale, you know what I mean? Like, I shouldn't have been there, but I ended up getting there, and then because of it, then the Gloria Estefan thing happened, and then it was like a, a serious lull of skateboarding and punk rock bands, and then started touring at 15. So, you grew up in the Cape, you moved to New York when you were super young, right? Uh, the story is, I was born... This has always confused me. Me too, man. Um... <laughs> I was born in England and lived there until I was six. Started spending half the year in L.A., half the year in England, because my dad was conducting the Los Angeles Philharmonic. And, Your father's uh, Andre Previn, who's done a little bit. Just a little bit. little a bit. A touch, yeah. It's, yeah. Not a, it's a pretty harsh umbrella to live under. The but, amount of holiday cards you must have to send every year has to be insane. Mostly apology cards, yeah. but then there's the apology holiday card afterwards. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, it's it, eleven brothers and sisters has made for like interesting Christmases and uh, family mm-hmm. dynamic. But, but yeah, so uh, the glorious fun thing happened, and I and I I'm sorry, I've totally gone on track. Uh, so yeah, I was in England, split the year, L.A., New York, or L.A. England, and then moved to New York after that, and then it was America full time. Started going to school. My parents put me in my first day of American school at 10 years old in a sailor suit. And I had long, long Beatles hair, and I was so chubby at the time that my parents nicknamed me Chubbs. This was, like, what I was called That's in public. So kind. It was awesome. But uh, <laughs> How are your therapy bills? You paid up? You good? Uh, I think there's an outstanding debt to someone on North 2nd that I just, like, stopped going to on tour. But, <laughs> but other than that, I'm caught up. Um, the, the medicine bill, however, <laughs> that's huge. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and uh, and then was in New York for a super long time, and then moved up to the Cape and Islands to go to a charter school because for me it was always this thing. Every every report card said Lucas is smart, but he doesn't apply himself, and so my parents were always trying to find like alternate ways to channel this thing, which ended up being me practicing an American accent at home because I was ridiculed so often that it led me to buying a skateboard, getting Thrasher magazine, reading about punk bands, and then that's sort of like how that happened. But then I was living on an island at the time, 
going to a charter school it was weird and which island where martha's vineyard off of uh. cape cod and what was weird is there was this small faction of vegan straight edge kids on the cape and islands who skateboarded so because of the skateboarding i started to meet these guys and they were dudes from syracuse like this guy john mckeg who booked like every earth crisis show in syracuse for like 10 years he's a bald dude with a camera yeah, yeah and like full sleeves he's been in the scene for forever he gives like a lot of like talks at shows motivational speeches and stuff and he was a kid you went to school with no he was the, one of the vegan straight edge kids on the island oh okay uh, kids i mean he, now he, i think he's 50 now so i mean he was a lot older at the time but definitely like uh, he guided me in the right way of like don't listen to this crappy band because you saw it in thrasher this is the better version of it and uh and through that, I started... And then he gave you a Path of Resistance LP. <laughs> I love Path of Resistance. Hi, too. DJ. The um, first record. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. No. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, you totally threw me off. Sorry. Where were we? That's how uh, it goes. You're on, you're on an island. You're going to school. Charter school. Straight edge, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and then through that whole scene, I started playing in a band with the other straight edge kids on the island. And... Uh, had totally had to do this approximation of what I thought like punk and hardcore should be written like, and went over to this guy's house, uh, this guy Ryan, who was the drummer for Their Wires, the band that it turned into, but at the time it was like a joke band. And I was so young, and I got a ride there, and he didn't know how young I was, and no one else in the band did, and they were like, oh, where's your car? And I was like, I, I don't have one, like totally lied about my age for three years in a band like was it in virginia beach playing a show and there was like one of those 18 curfews like past 10 p.m if there's anyone 18 in the club you have to get out and i like hid in a bass drum and a couple of members of the band were like why did you do that and i had totally lied my face off like oh, i was tired how old were you i think i was like i was 15 i started touring at 15 wow. yeah and much to my your family was cool with that or were they all over the place uh, it happily and not so happily coincided with my parents' divorce. So they were super preoccupied. And it was like, it was a really good thing that I cared about anything because school, like, while I I didn't do well, I didn't do poor, like, awfully, I didn't do enough and I didn't care. You were bored and it wasn't anything that was going to help you out. So who cares? Exactly. Yeah. So I started touring and it was an eye opening experience. And I was like, well, this seems to make a lot more sense than being sad and playing guitar in my room this is a lot more fun and uh yeah it was just a lot of years of different bands and it, it was funny how like it sort of started on this really huge scale with the raffi and glorious fun thing and then i took the exact opposite turn like no i want to play basements and i want to break things and i, I want to like understand that much more than i care about like broadway and all that stuff and then for it to come back around again later in life it was so much more appreciated you know like i hated it at first so much because it was like all these fake kids and i had no idea like i didn't have any assimilation to that whole world and then i think taking it from the ground up was the only way i could see myself doing it, it wasn't intentional but it ended up happening that way and i was like gosh i'm really really glad i didn't stay at like oh i should always be at this like you know whatever broadway theater backstage getting powdered <laughs> With music and you and all these bands, do you have, you know, from a young age with your father, do you have a fundamental appreciation of music? Like, can you read music? Because I imagine a lot of these bands could not. Yeah, it was super important for my dad for me to learn how to read music. And the reason I started playing guitar is because I started playing piano. My dad's a pianist. And uh, 
I would sit and practice and he would listen and scream from his room when I made a mistake. And it was like, I was doing scales. I was no good. Like it was, it was an intense pressure to be under as a young child wanting to do music. And so eventually like this got to a point where I was like, fuck this. And went to my mother and I was like, what instrument does my dad know the least about? Just like electric guitar. Let's go buy one today. And, uh, I wasn't allowed to get an electric. I had to start with an acoustic because my dad thought the electric would lead to exactly what life led to, I guess. <laughs> and uh, Lucas gestures to his full sleeves. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and so <clears throat> much to much to you know. The only show to this my father has ever seen me play was the very first show with an electric guitar, and I covered "Knocking on Heaven's Door," "Hole," and "Nirvana." with like the school band and he left and has never come to a concert since Aww. I was 13. But to be fair, we've written music together and we, he's performed it while I've been there. And it's like, we found our place in music together. Cause obviously it wasn't going to be like integrity records or something, or you the know, AKs. or the AKs. So how did you end up in New York on your own? Um, so after, you know, there's only so much, I guess, time as a, person who wants to be a musician that you can be on an island that closes for six to seven months of the year and has like a grocery store and a 45 minute boat ride to be able to go see a show you know without taking you or someone else out right does it, did every kid just like sit around and do drugs i think and i you'd, i'd have to double check this but there is some crazy statistic about martha's vineyard being like the most per capita suicides in the united states in like a concentration or whatever but mm-hmm. because the winter time it is i mean bleak is hardly the word i was lucky to have been straight edge during that time because otherwise i mean it i can understand now why those guys were the way they were like just like this bleak like new england winter with like boats not working and just like bashing around silence everywhere this is how little i know about it i never have been to martha's vineyard but i just pictured it as like a huge winery (laughs) like this paradise like i was like it's called martha's vineyard it's got to be beautiful but i think that's the problem is that it's such a bipolar place because in the summer the population goes from like fifteen thousand to one hundred and fifty thousand for three months and in the summer it's like fireworks and carnivals and festivals and then Labor Day hits. Is it Labor Day or Memorial Day? Memorial Day? Labor Day is in September. And it just like, shoom, everyone leaves and like boarded up windows, empty houses, like turns to Detroit in like 24 hours. It's like any other creepy beach town on the East Coast. You know, it's, it's seasonal. Yeah. And it, and, it go, yeah. and it locks it down. But imagine on an island where there's fuck all to do but find the local bar or huff paint. <laughs> exactly. You know? Like, And that was definitely like... Is there like a college there or anything or not really? No, okay. no, it's like, there's definitely like the college of, I'm just going to wear car hearts and do woodworking for the rest of my life and like resign myself to solar paneling and stuff, which is cool for the people that are still doing it. But I know they will never hear this because they don't own a computer. So for the rest of your siblings, like were they all shipped off to other schools as well? Or were you all separated pretty <laughs> immediately? Uh, so it might be a wood carved computer, Lucas. You don't know. <laughs> yeah. could, it could have been a wood carved computer. Do you want to draw a diagram for this next question? <laughs> um gosh um all right now that you're not laughing ask me again bring it on okay so there are a lot of siblings yeah tons of siblings now your immediate siblings were they shipped off to other schools as well or did they stay were you in la at that time or new york when you went to martha's vineyard uh it was New York to Martha's Vineyard was okay. the transition. And my, all my siblings are, I think the closest one to me is six years older than me. Mm-hmm. So they always had like a leg up in that sense. They were adults during sort of tumultuous times and I wasn't. But 
My father's been married now six, seven times over his lifetime, so a lot are half and half-sisters, and I see some of them sometimes. I talk to some of them the other, and sometimes some of them I haven't talked to in years, but I have a sister who's old enough to be my mom. So some people go on third dates, your dad gets married. Yes, exactly. A hundred percent. He he loves getting married. Hates staying married, it's a fun but he party. loves getting married. Yeah, it's a great party. It's like yeah. that Louis C.K. special I just saw. He's like, the best part about getting married is getting divorced. It is so much fun. He's like, you know why it's expensive? It's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you know, and I didn't understand how my dad was until I started being in the music industry and I, I could see like parallels of his personality and bandmates or people on the road. And it's like, okay, like there are some people that the loneliness is beyond their moral scope, you know? And that's, uh, I think that was my, like understanding that was when I was like, okay, I can be friends with my old man. Like he traveled so much when I was young, like pre-divorce, he was not around just cause he traveled so much. And then post-divorce, like that reason plus divorce. So eventually, uh, it was that, that sort of like brought me back to being able to be like, okay, well the relationship that I will find with him is within music and friendship and, went to him with like we should probably write something and at the time i was <clears throat> i was going to school for music and they had assigned us to write a uh, two instrument song of any length as long as it, as long as it was like showing what the counterpoint and other stuff we were learning entailed and uh i wrote it for piano and bass upright bass and gave it to my dad and he ended up playing it live without telling me at the jazz standard in new york and like I, w I turned into a child, like floods of tears. Like I had no idea it was happening. And afterwards, like uh, he asked me to produce the live, re the live recording of it. And it got nominated for a Grammy. And it was like this total bizarre circle of I would never have thought when I started this that it would have ever turned into something that would have been recognized at all. You know, it was always going to be like, you know, my dad showing me Twinkle Twinkle on the piano or something. Um, but he's come around like... A with everything. I remember, like, I wasn't allowed to skateboard, I wasn't allowed to rollerblade, I wasn't allowed to get, I mean, obviously tattoos before 18, but... It's a good thing about the rollerblading, though. I back him on that. Absolutely. But at the time, probably, I thought I was super cool wanting rollerblades. <laughs> <laughs> and then quickly learned that that was the least cool thing ever when someone used the term fruit boot out of a car at me. And I was like, oh, maybe this isn't cool as I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> Because you can't just jump off and kick those up. You got to step and unlace them, or if like the pair I had in college, unbuckle with the plastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were they the three colors? Oh yeah, the silver boot. Like yeah, I was like, I'm gonna red, work. Yellow, I was green. like, any other kind of exercise. I'm gonna work out and lose weight. I'm gonna rollerblade, and then I go down a hill on my ass and my chest, and I put them in a box and never, <laughs> you know, wore them again. Yeah, I think it was when like a skateboarding friend was, was like, yeah, those are attached to your feet. Doing tricks on those is not impressive. Like. <laughs> A board that you have to bring up defying gravity, that's impressive. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I was bad at both of those things. Yep. Did you not skate as a kid? No. I, I got into it like when I was in my 20s, but I was never really good. I could, it was, I could like drop in and just go back and forth. So this be my. That's good. Yeah, that's really good, man. Dropping yeah, in I is could hard. I could never Ollie. I could never like really like. And it, it, like dropping in was terrifying to me. I've heard it for so long. Mm. Even if the ramp was like three feet tall and you're like on the edge, I'd be like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna die!" Because you have to put your weight forward. It's an unnatural overcompensation at yeah. first, for sure. Exactly. Do you still skate? Uh, no, I lodged a rock in my left knee, and it went so deep, and that like my knee is blown out forever. Did you get the rock out? <laughs> yeah, I did. I was young and dumb, and went back home and. Uh, 
went into a bathtub and there's a stuff called Dettol in England that's like an antiseptic that my mom would always put it in water and on cuts and so I just filled the bath with it and got in it and like in it excruciating agony was like trying to feel it and it just felt like maybe a scar at first and then I did one wipe and I heard a tink on the porcelain of the tub and I was like what is that and this the water just started turning red and I was like oh my god what's going on and my mom was before pre-cell phone couldn't get a hold of her didn't have a driver's license I couldn't walk to the hospital at this point with a gaping hole in my leg so I just figured out like well hydrogen peroxide seems to be what everyone uses on cuts and I just filled the hole with hydrogen peroxide and uh, see you, John. And <laughs> and and close it with a butterfly bandage. And by the time it was over, and my mom got home and took me to the hospital, the skin surrounding the cut was so soft. They were like, "We should just butterfly this better because it's so soft. The, the stitches will just you didn't get you didn't get stitches at all. No, they just uh, butterfly bandage. And now I have this like giant white, weird off color scar on my knee. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah, like, I know them. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh Super my God. bad. Yeah, this. Right now, Stephen's holding his face, and it's the reaction that I always get. And even my body feels it again when I tell the story. I, yeah, I, I've, I've done a few and seen a few, and uh, blah. I do, not, <laughs> I do not skate. So in trying to keep track of where you are, when you are, right. I can only imagine how confusing it is for you. Yes, I, I guess life started really at 18 in New York. Got it. Okay. That, that's when, like, actual life happened. Before that, like, all of this strange moving and, like floating around in the world was happening how many times do you think you moved before 18 let me do a little hand counting at least five minimum five times wow and it it was hard especially in the hardcore scene because there was so much hometown pride within like each scene Mm -hmm. and i didn't get to really have any of that because i wasn't from anywhere and so trying to like be like yeah fucking new york hardcore is so sick like yeah but i'm not really from here so it's difficult yeah or like boston hardcore fsu like uh, no i'm like also not from here either like but so i never got to wear the cool basketball jerseys or anything yeah, it's not a small club dude i i my dad is in the military i've moved my whole life and yeah it's annoying as crap yeah it's Cause wild because you, you never feel like you live anywhere even when you live somewhere you always i always have this feeling of i'll be out of here in a little while yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't know if if this was f- the same for you, but like, the first move was the one that I remember. Everything else seemed easy after it, but like the big first one of like, oh, this is no longer home, and you're going to the new one. That was the one I remember. Everything else was easy after that, but like that first one, I was like, wow, this sucks. Like everything I know is about to just like fade out backwardly. You know, I have no memory of the first one because by the time I was three we'd move like six times oh wow so i was no i I, i'd never know anything but going from place to place and did i know that for me i this is part of where music was like a super comfort was that was always there Mm -hmm. was it the same for you like my cds are always with me that's the one thing i can make sure of you know there was music but it was for me it was like toys and comics yeah and then music came later like like music really came for me when i was stationary like when i hit 14 that was my 14th move and we moved to northern virginia and that's where like my parents still are and so that was a great place to grow up from for those years because of just all the bands i mean it was the it was the late 80s and it was just discord mania right but then you get super localized and you know i didn't i was probably 17 when i was like oh there's hardcore in other places (laughs) who's this gorilla biscuits band you know finding that at the store where in virginia uh, Springfield. 
Okay. Northern Virginia. So I know about the Virginia Beach 18-year-old go-home laws. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Remember absolutely. when that started? It was hilarious. So funny. Yeah, I went to kindergarten to 12th grade at the same school, but then I decided to overcompensate when I moved to New York by moving every two months between yeah, East did. Village and Williamsburg. Yeah. <laughs> That's been cool. You're catching up. Yeah, yeah. It's been, I moved three times last year, so... Uh, um, was it hard for you to make friends at going to so many different schools and meeting people? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> It was up until skateboarding and straight edge, like, and that community sort of happened and you, the whole like brotherhood idea. And that was like so appealing to me because of the disjointed nature of my life up until then. But yeah, I mean, I have a couple friends from the scattered years that I still keep in minor contact with. But for the most part, like, like I said, like, l I guess real life started at 17, 18, which is funny because it involves you and you don't know it. And I, I specifically told Jonah you are not allowed to tell Steven about this because it's going to be fun. So Trying not to grin because face. I don't know if this is going to end well or not. I, oh, it, it, the face I promise you it's not a bad story. Okay. So uh, 17 or 18, I'm at like a Tower Records, west, Upper West Side, and I'm just browsing for records, and there's like a bizarre much music thing in the corner. And this dude, I think his name was Scott, but I'm not positive. He definitely had like a short name like this. came over to me and he's like, hey would you want to do an on-camera, like, fake interview? We're, like, casting for Much Music America. And I was like, oh, sure, why not? And did it, and then he kept in contact, and, like, we did a couple more things, and he really wanted me to like that band Echo Brain. And I don't know if this gives you any insight to who this guy was. That would be Scott Barkham, because Scott loved Echo Brain. Okay. And I work with Scott for years. He's a great guy. You've met him here. He's been at Rubber Tracks a bunch. Really? Yeah. So, wow. This dude, like, was in contact with me and was like, yeah, we might have you do this thing. And I went to, like, a Best Buy with three other people and did a video, like, pretend show. And then he called me one day and he's like, yeah, we're not going to choose you. We chose this dude, Steven, who knows so much about music. You guys would get along so well. And that was, what, 10 plus years ago. And I still yeah. haven't met you till today. That's hilarious. Yeah. So hi wow. Scott. Hi Scott. Yeah, it's been a while, and I I did like the Echo Brain CD he sent me. Scott loves Echo Brain. Loves Jason Newstead. He manages bands now, and he's brought a bunch of bands here to Rubber Tracks, where we record this wonderful podcast. That's awesome. Oh, I have a wonderful heard... studio. We record this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. That's right. And Switch that... the adjectives. <laughs> That's crazy. So you were doing hosting stuff as well. Yeah, but not just totally by accident. Like it felt like the most like L.A. story to happen in New York. Like, hey, want to do an interview on camera? Like, uh, sure. Scott's got a good feel for that sort of thing. He was very good. At, he's very good at like spotting and managing talent. That's basically what he did for us at Fuse. Right. He was in charge of all the on-camera folks, and it was a good buffer between us and producers. Yeah, he was learned. such a nice guy. Yeah, he's great. That's hilarious. Wow, wow right? right on. Yeah, and, and of course had to be Tower Records. Yeah, even better. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. Right? Yeah. Are they, they're totally done, right? They're totally done. They're internationally, they have them, right? There's one in Ireland, I, I think. I like when I was in Japan a couple years ago, or when we did that, I guess that was a while ago, mm. there were a bunch of them, but I guess that was like four or five years ago. I have a shirt. I asked for a shirt a couple years ago. It's kind of a in-memoriam shirt. <laughs> like a monogrammed shirt? Like no, it's an actual there? Tower Records shirt. Oh. <laughs> you know, that was like just like as if I worked there. <laughs> because I'm sure it happened to all of us whenever we hung out there, people would always ask us where the records were. Yeah, absolutely. Every damn time I was there from high school on. Especially never, no Jonah. Never happened to you? No. The tower on um is it Houston that now that had uh Britney Spears lived above it for a while. Do you remember this? Really? That one that's like that weird rotating space where yes. it's like the wired store yes. or the ESPN like wing zone and or it, whatever. There was tower and then at the end of the block was tower video. Right. Yep. Yep. And like across from screaming memes or something, whatever that store was. It's kind of um, funny that like our grown up 
like quote unquote indie record store was basically an international chain. Absolutely. You know, now it's support record store day. Oh yeah, we all grew up. No, we didn't. We all went up to Tower, but Tower had everything. It had books and records and unlimited supply. Yeah. We, Isn't that Virgin store at Union Square? Like I felt like that was like I was like I can't believe this went out of business. Like did you go there a lot? I was like yeah, I met people there and looked at stuff. I never bought anything. Yep. Yeah. And, and yet, like, oh. the listening station, oh, I can hear the whole record, <laughs> yeah. and I'm broke? Yeah. I will be here for an hour. No, yeah, totally. I spend so much time at those listening stations. Like, I think the first time I ever heard Gorillaz, I was like, I'll just listen to this whole record. I have nothing to yep. do. Fine. <laughs> Great. That's pr- that pretty much defines any of us going to one of a record store. Like, what do you have to do? I have nothing to do. <laughs> yep. And North- no one ever met you on time there. Like, I, I would have that as a meeting place, and it'd be like, see there at three, and it's like, you'd listen to two records. I'd be like, sorry, man, just made it. Right, yeah. right. Uh, oh, the, oh, the employee picks are so indie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bell and Sebastian on every rack for the employee picks? Wild. <laughs> I want to talk about our relationship a little bit. Um, because I feel like me and Lucas, it, Lucas is as neurotic as I am, which is like incredible that I feel like we found each other. Yeah, it it, it kind of is, man. Like, I, definitely when you're around <laughs> anyone that knows me before they know you. And then they see us interact, they're like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, I don't know if you guys are, like, the best thing that's ever happened to each other as friends, or maybe the worst instigators of problematic... Is it, like, oh shit, there's two of them? Y- yeah, a little bit, like... like <laughs> Beth put it really well, she's like, it's just a constant revving of each other's engines, and, like, the RPMs <laughs> keep going, and you just keep getting madder and madder, but not with each other, just at things. Yeah, like with no you, resolution. If you could get a patent for, like, inventing problems... <laughs> Like, we'd have so many. Oh, you guys must play guitar. We do play guitar. I do, and it's so funny. We're, I was telling, we were talking about the first time we met recently, and it's uh, this story, because I don't know how you started playing with you, and we through. <laughs> well, it's through Cape Cod, because the whole straight edge scene on the vineyard was very, very closely linked to Cape Cod hardcore, which Ben Kohler, from, who now plays in Converge, he played in a band called Force Fed Glass at the time, and... Uh, Good name. So everyone knew each other. It's a really good record. It's yeah. like super grindy, super like nineties, really, really good. And um and they toured with like Reversal of Man and all the bands they should have toured with to be a band that was that good. And uh so I I met Ben and we'd started playing music together just like in his basement, funnily enough, playing like covers of Converge songs sometimes long before he had ever like thought he might be in the band. And uh and so when I moved to New York, Ben was still living in Boston, and then he moved up here and I was one of the people he knew so we hung out all the time and he started doing un and then un needed more people and that's when ben brought me into the mix and it was in the acid tiger practice space right yeah and we met and we played and like me and lucas really hit it off and i was like oh this is great and then we we're kind of like just like making fun of each other messing around and he made some joke about the love killer my old band and i was like I'm going to go home and Google Lucas and see like what embarrassing bands he's been in. So I go back to practice and I Google Lucas and it's like Andre Previn, Woody Allen, like all this stuff. I'm like, what? So I called Jeff. I'm like, did you know about this stuff? Like Lucas is like all this. And he's like, no, I don't know. And I was like, I'm going to like bring it up because like I wanted to make fun of him about something. This is not what I was expecting. He's like, yeah, you should totally do it. So I go back like to how you're researching how to make fun of someone. <laughs> Your brand new friend that you the friend you just got along with. I, like like, I really guy like this guy. Yeah. How can I zing him? Yeah. <laughs> no, basically, yep. So I go into practice the next day and we're like working on some song or something. I'm like, uh, hey man, like I said something like Googled you yesterday, pretty crazy or whatever. I don't know what I said and all of a sudden Lucas got super serious and was like, What? 
you Googled me? Like, why would you do that, man? That's, like, not cool. And I was like, no, I just, like, wanted to find something dumb to make fun of you about, like, uh, you know. And he's like, no, man, that is, like, really not cool. Like, and just, like, put his guitar down and left. And I was, like, looking at Jeff, and Jeff's just, like, looking at me, like, shrugging. And I'm like, dude, I told you. I was, like, what is happening? And then, like, two minutes later, Lucas came in. He's like, Jeff told me about this. I was just, like, fucking with you. Yeah, we had, <laughs> we had this huge plan. I, I was, like, and I was so upset because I'm, like, I finally made a new friend who, like, actually, like, I feel like I can relate to. Like, this, like, it's so great. And I was, like, and I blew it. And I can't believe, like, I felt so bad. And then I was, like, ugh. Well played. <laughs> very, very well played. It was so awesome because I'd heard so many stories of your neurotic nature before I'd ever met you that I already had so much ammunition without having to do any, like, creepy Googling. The legend does <laughs> come before the Jonah. Absolutely, man. And you're big in Williamsburg, I've heard. <laughs> um, but, yeah, man, it was it was a... Uh, I, I the thing was I was just as nervous to make the joke like when I was standing outside of the room with Ben and we were like I wonder how this is gonna go I was like I don't know Jonah well enough he may be like hey fuck you for playing this shitty joke on me man like get out of this band so it was definitely I, a roll of the dice I think you knew him well enough I think you had that feeling oh, okay this will be great be like alright fine my bad whatever <laughs> are we eating <laughs> yeah but then the, probably an hour long like are you sure you wanna eat there I don't, I, you're right. not just like placating where I want to eat right Right, right. No, totally. <laughs> Sounds uh, actually familiar. And then the first show we played was Inauguration Day in D.C. with uh, the AKAs, your old band. Yeah, who and didn't we, know I was in United Nations. Yeah, and no I don't one think they knew, knew I, did, I was either. And I felt like we walked According to Wikipedia, with, neither of you were in it. <laughs> oh, funnily enough, recently, because of that, I was like, you know what? It, it seems silly that neither Jonah or I, while we've been writing the new record and have records that we've played music on that like there's just no reference at all like which i get is also part of the band but it, there was like this list of people who like had absolutely nothing to do with the band and so i was like i'm gonna go in and fix it i never figured out how wikipedia works <laughs> spent way too much time figuring out like html and stuff like this and entered the right information and then <laughs> went to show someone and it was all switched back and after a while i figured out that in wikipedia you can Sort of like when you change it, leave a comment about what you've changed and why. And this, whoever this guy was was like, I don't know who you are or why you think you know what Lucas does with his life, but this is not right. The information you are citing doesn't have enough references and all this stuff. And I'm just like, I, I don't know how to tell you that you're wrong other than it's me. Someone like, from Wikipedia? No, like the guy, like some like, you know, like so like hardcore Joe 420 or so whatever okay. altered it. Uh, there's like a hierarchy though, like people can override other people or he just, he's like the same as you, he's just changing it back. That I think that you are open to change anything at any point. Like wasn't it, uh, who is the, who's the like super homophobic uh, dude who they got it so that when you, was it Rick Santorum, like when you yep. Google his name, the first thing that came up was like Dan Savage started that. Dan Savage, like some awesome like like gay porn site, was like the first thing that okay. came up. It's like you know, I guess it sort of followed with that idea. Wikipedia is weird because I, someone had put a page together for me years ago, and it had in some line that I had apparently in an interview called Pat Monahan a cunt, <laughs> and that was on the Wikipedia page. Yeah, and I stand by that, but. <laughs> It was very odd that that was the one quote because I was like, a lot of people are going to read all this and just get to that point. How odd, right? Yeah, and it it's seems a weird thing. Wikipedia. I used to have one, and it like I think they were like, this person isn't even important enough. I'm pretty sure that it's just open, open to anyone to put anything. Okay. And this this guy has chosen like I'm going to be the like you know hardcore police on Wikipedia or something. 
But I, had, I bet you that guy's really fun to hang out with. <laughs> no, not that band. Yeah. I'm going back to work. Do you want me to bring any food home? <laughs> I, and but there's no way to like email someone directly. I want to email and be like, hey man, like I promise you, call me. Like yeah. <laughs> no big whoop. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think that definitely like when I know for me, I don't know if it's the same for you, but when life starts to get like, I'm not sure if I'm living right. I always call you and I'm like, is this fucked up? Is this like, have I fucked up completely today? And whether your gauge is usually sort of my like conscience, like, no man, that's totally right. Like, oh, phew. And it's gone. The episode's gone. But if you're like, I don't know, <laughs> then it's like, oh, I have another 24 hours of looping in my head at what that could mean, what I should have done. Yeah. Uh, you're giving me way too much influence because I have no idea what I'm talking about almost ever. <laughs> but I guess it's sort of excusable having Woody Allen sort of in the family. So yeah, what's good he like? segue. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, neur- neurotic people. So Sunni is your adoptive sister. Mm-hmm. Okay, which is unbelievably complicated because she was adopted by my father and Mia Farrow, and then soon after M- Mia and Woody got together, and my father sort of handed over custody, and then. But she kept the last name Previn, and then... That could only have affected her positively. Yeah, <laughs> yep, and then started. she started dating Woody Allen, and then the controversy happened, and it was fucking crazy. Like, reporters were trying to bribe me with video games for information and stuff. Like, How old were you at the time? I want to say, like, 11 or 12. 11 or 12, okay. Um, and how many years older is she? I'd have to Wikipedia it. <laughs> I honestly don't know. And there, and therein lies your entire family history. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And uh, and so she ended up marrying Woody Allen at the end of the controversy, and they've been together for forever, which I think is a testament to its reality. Like when it first started, it seemed really, really crazy, and it's still crazy and shitty. But like, they're still together, and they have a kid. It's like that's all right. I guess. Like I always feel like if I'm dumped for someone, don't dump me for the guy in the bar you just want to make out with. If you want to stay with the dude forever, I'm totally okay with that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that seems like the better of the two options. Like oh, it wasn't just like this scummy, weird, like year long thing. Has Woody Allen ever heard Thursday? <laughs> it's not commented on it. <laughs> <laughs> Is your relationship such that you've all hung out? Or are you close with her at all? Or um, yeah, I mean it's not. God, I just put a tier system in my own head of like my brothers and sisters and how they work but she's definitely in the like least contacted in the 11 um, but I mean there's still like oblig- obligation emails and like things mm-hmm. like that where it's like nice to stay in touch mm-hmm. but there's such so many raw nerves for so many different people in different ways that like it's just a slippery slope very, it's, I guess it's very odd. I don't, I don't claim to know anything about that situation and when their relationship started. And um, as a dad myself with two young girls, I'm like, who are you dating? What, where, when, and how? Yeah. But you know, if you're of age and dating somebody, uh, you know, it's up to you. It's up to them. It sounds, I, I don't mean to sound so objective about it because you know there is that creepy factor. But it's like you're saying, they're still together. So yeah. if that's if, if it's working, shut the fuck up. It's been right. 20 years. Yeah, it's yeah. been a long fucking time. Yeah. And yeah, it was weird and uh, like I'm I totally back every member of my family that still has weird issues with it because it was a weird time and I was young enough where I don't think I fully grasped the scope of it, but for me it's like okay, well, whatever. Dude, I had a so. friend at 30 who started dating a chick who was 15. But was he his wife's daughter? <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing that I think and, is like and, this. 
And thus endeth the comparison. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I have nothing. Yeah, oh, man. But and this is going to sound weird, or it might not. How am I to know? Based on your life experiences and your father's life with multiple marriages and uh, consecutive, and you know, cousins and adopt uh, siblings, adoptive and whatnot. Could you be surprised? I mean, it's weird, but is it? And that, like, I imagine you seem like a very grounded person that no doubt, I think, based on the families you've had in bands, maybe not the family you grew up with. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, do you think that's weird for your home family life or just like, yeah, and then there's that? I mean, I, that's the thing about it is, is that like, you know, someone like Jonah who goes home and Googles it and then uh, like, the amount of times that people are surprised by it has absolutely nullified it to me. It's like, I guess someone who works in a morgue, like eventually it's just like, this no longer affects me. Like I, there was a large period of my, t- my life where I wanted to separate myself from my father, that whole story and everything included. And like, how could you escape it? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so eventually it was just like, this is just this is just life like i don't i don't know any other way i know that it's not normal for everyone else but 11 brothers and sisters one who marries your like father's ex-wife it's just life you know like just like i don't know i I wish i could say like it feels crazy but it doesn't it's like i know the story's crazy and that it has this effect on people when it gets told but i don't know it's it's just regular life at this point it was so it I think was, it's all regular life. It's just how you interpret it or how you expect others to. Yeah, and but this seems to be a topic that others are always like, holy shit about. Like tell tell me like all the intimate details. It's like I just don't know them. I I know that it's weird. Would they be holy shit about it if it was just if it, if it wasn't, you know, a filmmaker, you know, a great filmmaker. Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the uh, that's the other angle to yeah, it. He's it's older, like, he's a banker and they're dating and they're married. It's gross. Right, right. Anyway, right. uh burgers? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, Woody Allen's funny and yeah. he's a great director and he's an incredible writer and like there's nothing that like his personal life should take away from his work. Like I know, I mean, Tim Lambesis and all that, but for me it's like He's got to be someone who, for me, he is a separate entity for how he works. Because so many people I know like his movies. Like I wasn't allowed to watch his movies when I was young and under like any sort of parental supervision. So it was almost this like pornographic thing when I was on my own to watch a Woody Allen movie. Like what's it like? And I loved it. And was like, why was I kept from this? It's good. Like it's actually good. Um, so yeah, I can separate like the action from the man, absolutely, or the the work from the action. But call that Axel Rosen. Yeah. It's like misogynist prick. Appetite for Destruction is a good record. Yeah. So I, on there, they did a tour and I got to go on a week of it. And uh, Axl Rose. Were you playing? No, I wasn't playing. I was dating someone who was in the opening dance troupe, we'll say. And and so a couple wild things about Axl Rose that I found out is he has all his shirts tailored. So they're tight up top Mm -hmm. and then flare out. So it looks like he's still super thin. And he has this like black box on the side of the stage that he runs into, and someone like does all like his primp work and retouches his makeup between every single song. He was like <laughs> late, still late to every single show, and you feel like, dude, how can you still be 
doing this prima donna, like, I'm going to show up three hours late. And the first show, you were at the first show of me being on that tour because it was the one that the pigeons of shit metal, as he called them, yeah, it was got in kicked Cleveland off. Yeah, at CSU. Or, like, I think, I think it was so, Kinko's yeah. Arena, I thought, or like whatever the arena yeah, was. Yeah, they're always changing the name. Some, some Quicken. Corporate. That's what yeah, it was. Yeah, Quicken Loans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I went to this show. Who did I go with? I think with my sister. I went with Vanessa. I got tickets somehow. And it was like, it was Sebastian Bach. Mm-hmm. And the Eagles of Death Metal opened, and they were good. And I felt like the crowd was totally fine into it. And then Axl Rose came out and called him, was like, give it up for the pigeon to shit metal. Was like ripping on them, was like, don't worry, you'll never see them again. And then their singer did that interview with Buddyhead, mm-hmm. and they kept calling him Paxl Rose. <laughs> yeah. And then was like, I, he was like, they asked us to do it, they paid us for the whole tour up front, and then they fired us, and we still got paid. Like, who? we don't care. Yeah, thanks for nothing. Yeah, like, yeah. we'll I, be fine. I was on their bus after it all happened. They were like, we don't care at all. We're so psyched we get to go home. Like, it's not a big well, deal. What was, was there ever any, like, resolution to that? Or it's just, like, it's Axl Rose? Like, no, the deal was the is that they and... went, like, ten minutes under. Okay. And their, the contract was that you had to play for a set amount of time. And it pissed Axl Rose off. I guess. Because he's a stickler for time. Yeah, he's like <laughs> super pu- punctual, German punctual. And uh, and yeah, just like went on this rant and they were all like, oh well, fuck it. Like karaoke Guns N' Roses doesn't matter anyway, so who cares? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So all the bands you were in, like I, I imagine it must have been hard, like son's father figure for most of your life. So did you find it in bands with other guys? I know in the straight edge scene, like there was one in my school and I still talk to him. He's one of my best friends. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, there were certainly mentors like... Uh, to sort of bring it back to the beginning that guy phil ramon who just passed away he was like a huge musical influence on my life and i spent more time at his house than my own probably well any of mine um but uh yeah there was definitely within bands uh i guess just seeing the the years where i lied about my age were the most like i guess uh, pivotal times when i needed someone to sort of like steer me in one direction or the other and luckily it was a bunch of straight edge guys who were like super nice and i go to one of their weddings in september and it's like they're all still super close good friends and few people in my life that i've kept like a weekly contact with for a decade plus are they still straight edge no were you ever straight edge i was um until new year's eve 2000 when uh my mother i was at a new year's eve party and i went back because my mom's like i want to spend the millennium changing with you like you're my son it seems appropriate and I went back home just... And you said, that's really 2001, Mom. <laughs> was that a Jet Black New Year? It, it was a Jet Black New Year because I got Jet Black out. Um, <laughs> because I went back home and my mom's like, you have to have champagne with me. Like, it's the millennium. And totally, like, sold me, like, drug dealer style. Like, you have to drink right now. And I was like, all right. And I finished the bottle and went back to the party and was just hammered for the first time ever. And I was in a band that was straight edge at the time and no one was at this party. And I came home and my brother and I were super hungover the next morning. And he got up to go to the grocery store, which my entire band was at buying like vegan barbecue stuff. And my brother just had no concept of any of this. And they were like, where's Lucas? He's like, I don't know, fucking hungover. And like phone call like you're out of the band that's it done you are out <laughs> just like that was their favorite hardcore band judge <laughs> at the time yeah but funnily enough it was like i went through like five years of jean jackets and white belts and like that whole weird fucking time in life and 
they went through like ultra militant straight edge like dilution and then finally we met somewhere in the middle and are all friends again but it was like it was definitely like that hardcore beef like you're not straight edge anymore one of the dudes wrote like a four-page double-sided letter to me like handwritten about how i dis- it was such it's a disappointment so that stuff, stuff is because uh, i was straight edge from like i was 18 to 21 or something and it's such a big deal it's like it's seems like such a big deal at the time and then i don't have any tattoos but you know obviously so many people have straight edge tattoos and i almost got one and i was like I was like, yeah, of course I'm going to be straight forever. Like, you think you have this vision of how yeah. life is going to be forever mm-hmm. at 17, 18, and you're like, yeah. My, my buddy didn't talk to me forever. He was so he was like, would you get drunk? And I was like, yeah. He was so bummed. Yeah. You know, and it's it's almost like it's, uh, it's evangelical. Absolutely. And, and when you go that far in, you always come back and be like, ah, I was a dick. And it happens to everybody. Very few people stay in. And the people I know who are still, quote, unquote, straight edge, um, if they're smart about it, you usually go, yeah, I just don't drink. It's not yeah. to me. Who gives a shit? Exactly. Know? Like my friend who was definitely like part of the straight edge thing, but now he doesn't want anything to do with the label. Like he will spot me money for weed and shit. Like he doesn't care what I do at all. And that, I think that's been the, like the huge shift is that there was so much judgment back like, in the nineties. And now it's sort of like, all right, everyone does everything. Triple X, right. veg edge, Krishna conscious. Yep. Drug free youth shirt. I definitely own that. Like yeah. the whole deal. And were you vegan? Are you vegan? Uh, I was vegan. Um, I was unfortunately born with a stomach illness that is yet to be diagnosed Yeesh. through 12 specialists. I, this podcast is going to sound like I'm just like this hugely broken individual. No. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you're a puzzle and you're standing. But so, yeah. So uh, I'd gone through all these specialists and all this stuff. And finally, a doctor was like, listen, you've got to start eating meat just to start to figure out what's going on with your body. And... Uh, that was the like started with fish like everyone does and then just total apathy yeah to follow you're a liar get out <laughs> yeah you're secretly eating this is a everywhere. vegan podcast <laughs> how dare you i'm yeah. i'm i'm impressed with anyone that can stay vegan outside of a big city like i feel like veganism i could have done it in new york really easily but the people who are like i cook every single meal at home wow that is fucking dedication I, I cook at home a lot, but I'm in a very, I'm in a situation where like I belong to a CSA and I work from home. I'm home all day. Right. But uh, if you had a regular job, yeah, it would, you, it would be so hard. Boiling kale yeah. to get the toxins I started, out. I started, I listened to this podcast where the guy said you can get kidney stones from, mm-hmm. how do you say the word, seriferous vegetables, cruciferous, whatever. Vociferous? No. Vociferous. C- it's C-R-U-C. <laughs> Cool. This is making me sound so smart. Crucified Anyways, kale? <laughs> yes, crucified kale. So he said you boil water, put it in the boiled water for five minutes, and then throw out the water, and then it's safer to eat. Mm. So that is, It's kind of like holy water for kale, then. Yeah. You can start crucified kind of nice kale. It's nice a super healthy thing will also kill you. Every I, The more I research <clears throat> stuff, the more I'm like, anything that I try to do to make for self-improvement or health has like a hidden thing that will kill me but are you researching on the internet yes then everything stop stop that immediately i know there's only one good website on the internet and this is a fact for anyone listening it's called WebMD, and that's the only one a doctor will go that fuck off everything else i'll be like oh this vitamin's supposed to help me sleep this mineral like like this calcium supplement then someone else this will make like your heart explode or something like i feel like everything is like everything in moderation yeah, and, and then there's, Don't a, be silly. there's definitely like those health conspiracists that thinks that 
everything like this is like a way to try and like the agricultural society is like, no, we need to have more meat eaters. We're going to put out this disseminate wrong information about kale. Like I, I highly doubt it. The conspiracy goes that deep into kale. I like to think it does though. Yeah, it'd be awesome. I really do. I like to think there's a little black room of people just wearing all leather <laughs> talking about the anger that's influenced. Like, like plants can feel and think. <laughs> I know. think that's a national show. Yeah. <laughs> so you're in, uh, you're in United Nations now. Yes. United and Nations now. United Nations now. And is that your, your soul band? Is Acid Tiger still doing stuff? Uh, Acid Tiger is on um, an acid hiatus. <laughs> and, uh, we I are no- now Meth Tiger. Dude, mm-hmm. that is a shame because... That was a good band. I liked really you guys. Good. Thanks, I used to love seeing you guys. Yeah, it was, it was one of the most fun bands I've ever played in. And, you know, just like it, New York, everyone in it sort of like moved away and things happened and people got married and had kids. And it was never a band that like took off or anything. It was a passion project for sure. But... um. Yeah, if there was ever a chance to do it, like another show, I would, in a heartbeat. Um, so United Nations, that's... Me and Jonah are working on the new album right now. Uh, are we even allowed to say that? Because it's going to be... <laughs> you've, said, you've mentioned it before. Yeah, yeah, we're, okay, working, cool. on, we're working on stuff. Cool, that's yeah. okay. So aside from just playing in bands, I mean, is that, that that's the main bread and butter? It's been the main bread and butter. That's this year great. off has been a little bit of a, a shift in schedule, like... I was just so busy with Thursday for so long, and then when Thursday had downtime, it was Acid Tiger or United Nations or whatever. Mm-hmm. And now not having that like main structure has given me first like the first three months of nothing was like super scary. Just like having life be so different after a decade plus of being one way exclusively, and then I started to figure out that there were other things that I might like to try. So I started like blowing glass and that was a really weird thing i just took a class one weekend and fell into it and loved it and as a place awesome yeah it's so much fun but day one i burned myself so bad that i was like i probably shouldn't do this like i use my hands for other things as well but i realized that it was just nerves day one like it's such an intense medium to work with the flame it's like you get anywhere near and it burns you but you have to wear no gloves or anything i went to one of those places in germany where they make the you know like not the beer times, but it's just like super ornate glass. And you right. watch them blow it, and you watch them make it, and you watch the guys sculpt it. And then you go to a room, which is the checkers. Mm-hmm. And it's people playing checkers constantly. It's <laughs> um, no, they're checking all the glass, and they look at it and throw it. And they look at it and they throw it, and they smash everything. They look at it immediately, and they smash everything. And maybe one or two pieces, meaning not everything, they put to the side. Like that's how specific they were about the glass, looking for flaws. And they're so right. good at it, they can look like within a second. And it's so funny. Then they would take the glass and smash it and melt it back up, and they were like, "Do it again." Yeah, yeah. it's a tedious process. Like it's definitely worked my patience a little bit. But uh, I thought I I thought it was going to be a lot easier than it was. And like whether it's a gl- like a simple drinking cup or a, a crazy like you know transformer bong or something, it's like which transformer. <laughs> Probably the ones that I've seen are all like the like Bumblebee, but the like rap version that got put in the movie. Like uh, it's like a Deceptibong. <laughs> yeah. Deceptibong. Wow. Yep. wow. It's a bong, but it's more than meets the eye. <laughs> more than meets the high. Uh, yeah. Damn it! I thought of it right after I said the other one. <laughs> yeah, Emily watched one of these shows recently, like How It's Made or something, and it was making these ornate chalices, and it was like 
35,000 steps. Like, first they cut this, and they make this part, then they put the stem on, then they cut this design, then 700 people approve it. Then yeah. It's so crazy, the process. It's the most process-oriented. It's, it's, that kind of stuff is to get your brain, it's good for musicians, to get your brain away from the product. It's to get you into, the, but the, like, the art is the process. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think you'd love it, man, with all like the Buddhist Zen stuff you get into. It's yeah. so there. Like once you get into this rhythm, it you're st- literally staring into a flame for I, hours. It's just, just everything here is so expensive. Like I looked into classes when you started doing it mm-hmm. and it was like $600, you know, for like a... The place on, on yeah, Barry, right? Yeah, yeah, it's like everything It's just so much money. To burn it's like, yourself. <laughs> yeah, I just wish that there was just... Yeah, it just yeah. The thing I did was a hundred bucks, and you take the intro class, and then you can go to the studio and work for as many hours as you want afterwards. Maybe I could do it with you when I go up to write sometime or yeah, something. For sure, I think cool. you guys blowing some glass together would be a cool thing. It would be cool. I mean, <laughs> got to do something to make money. <laughs> if you want to know the inner workings of the neurotic mind, we just gave it to you in audio form. Lucas Previn discussing things with Jonah Bear. One long 45-minute inside joke. Yes, and <laughs> just hap- that, that happens pretty much every day. Yeah, I can only imagine. But what a storied life. He has, what, what do you say, 10 or 11 siblings, half and adopted? Like, I don't think he can even keep no. track. I definitely can't. No, it's, a, it's absolutely amazing. I think his father's been married like six times. Yeah, it's... And, and the bands he's played with, I mean, like, from the Scissor Sisters, the Thursday, like, it's a... Uh, and that he's the only one of his father's children who went into music. That's what gets me the most. Yeah, totally. Because I always wonder at that, like, um, like Julian Lennon, Sean Lennon, maybe not do that, you know? <laughs> Jacob Dylan, like, yeah, maybe. You know, if, like, if there's another Springsteen record and it doesn't say Bruce in front of it, like, ah. <laughs> like, why would you do that? Like, go... At least paint or something artistic, but not, don't do, was that kid's band, The Fiction Plane? Sting's son oh. had a band. Oh, this sounds vaguely familiar. Like, don't do that. Yeah, that's tough. But... Paul, Paul McCartney's son said, you know, I've talked to Danny Harrison and Sean Lennon and we're going to talk to Zach Starkey and we, you know, we might do something. Maybe don't do that ever. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. If you're listening, Well, when you take it, that. when it's that far into like celebutant. Uh, status then it's actually kind of a thing except on its zach, own like except, it would be funny except zach Starkey's a motherfucker on drums <laughs> he's so good it would be funny to have all celebitants band do you hear like interviews like who taught you how to play drums he's like keith moon not your dad nope keith moon. <laughs> <laughs> really yeah yeah he was taught by keith moon wow so it's like how could you i like i love ringo star i think he's one of the best drummers but like he had this interview once that made me go Maybe you're not that good. Because it was, he said, one, he said the best thing ever said about drummers, what you don't play is as important as what you do play. Oh, yeah. But then he said, you know, I'm known for my fills. I never do them the same way twice. That's not good. (laughs) Like, that's, no, like not. That's, mm, you're not being a good drummer. Depends, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Um, If you want to see Lucas play guitar on stage and me play guitar on stage at the same time, we are... I'm proud to announce we're playing The Fest in Gainesville <gasps> in November. It has been announced that United Nations will be playing. Um, is that The Fest or the Fun, Fun, Fun Fest? It's called the, the, it used to be Gainesville Fest. Now I think it's just called The Fest or Fest. But Knapsack is reuniting and playing. Um, I think we're going down with Pianos Become the Teeth. 
Right. Um, Because that's half your band. Because that's half our band, and they have a van, which is awesome. (laughs) Uh, We don't. And there are are a ton of awesome bands playing. Um, What's the other one I was really excited? Night Marchers are playing. Um, I mean, the lineup's insane, so I'm very excited. It feels far away, but... uh, Night Marchers, someday John Reese will be in here. Someday John Reese will be in here. I'll harass him in Florida. Please, please. I'll get him a tiki drink. Then he'll meet me and go, oh, you, (laughs) you. I'll be like, sorry, I'm just a big fan. Uh, Lucas Previn is great. If you like us, if you like goingofftrack.com, if you like the website, it's great. But if you like the podcast, that's even better. Uh, (laughs) If you want to donate, there's a little donate button. It helps us keep things going. As I say every week, doing a podcast is a great way to learn how to break even in life. Uh, Follow us at Twitter at goingofftrack. Go to our Facebook page if you want to send us an email or a message. We don't do comment boards because we find them to be the Morlocks of humanity. That's for all you literature majors out there. <laughs> all you Jules Verne dissertation fans. Morlocks. Or X-Men fans. I have to throw that in there as well. <laughs> See you next week.